Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good morning. Welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Joining me for the hour is guest host Emily Miller. She's a political communication strategist and author of the book, Emily Gets Her Gun, But Obama Wants to Take Yours. Hey there, Emily. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So do you think there's going to be a second edition of your book saying that Joe Biden wants to take your gun? Oh, definitely. No, there's not going to be a second book on, on Joe Biden, but there's definitely going to be a second effort by this administration for gun control laws. And we're already seeing that in the White House. What in particular are they doing to try to do this? Well, the latest, they're really pushing for a really quick, the gun control advocates wanted Joe Biden in, in the White House for this reason. It's one of their top priorities. And we have a Democratic House and Senate, as you know. It would be pretty easy for them to pass some gun control laws. The latest I'm hearing is they want to pass what's so-called ghost guns, which are guns that people have assembled themselves at home, so don't have a serial number, with the supposed theory that that is going to stop gun crime, which, of course, anyone who's a criminal isn't going to obey a background check for a, quote, ghost gun. So the, the, Biden, is un, the president, is under a lot of pressure from gun control groups to get something done quickly, and we'll see what they do. Not going to be a lot of, well, there's enough, in the, I think there's enough in the Senate that they can wow. slow this down. Wait, so ghost guns, I've, I've never heard of this concept. This is new to me. Yeah, yeah. So criminals, like you said, they already have ghost guns, right? Well, I, I mean, it, this is, they're, Looking at inner city crime and gun crime in the inner city, there are a lot of guns that are untraceable because they don't have serial numbers. But in order for gun, stolen guns is an enormous source of criminals using guns because they steal them. They're not going to the gun store, passing a federal background check, and then before they go out and shoot someone or do a drug deal. That's the majority. So if we are going to start going after law-abiding people who assemble their own guns by using different parts and force them by federal law to go get a FBI background check before selling it, this is unenforceable, completely unenforceable. And it's just throwing it an effort at against the Second Amendment, against the Second Amendment to appease these gun control groups. But I think that's just the beginning. And as we go into 2024, and we're looking at the losing, or even 2022, if they, if they lose the House or if they lose the Senate, you're going to see gun control laws this year going through pretty mm. quickly. What about Democrats, though, from more moderate districts? I mean, even Bernie Sanders, who is a socialist, self-proclaimed, he has come under fire by some gun groups because they say he's too pro-gun. Do you think that the Democrats are going to have any pressure? They under, they're under enormous... The, I mean, Joe Biden mostly is fairly moderate on the left. He has talked about being a gun owner. He famously said that when he, he had advised his wife, Jill, that if they ever had criminals come to their house, she should go outside, use a shotgun, and shoot it into the air. So 
Wow. Yeah, that was. That We're was... going to get that sound bite up. All right, Emily Miller, thanks for joining us for the hour. We're excited to have you. But in the meantime, Dr. Naomi Wolf, she is a journalist and former political advisor to Al Gore and Bill Clinton. And she's the author of many books, including her latest, Outrage Sex, Censorship, and the Criminalization of Love. Also, another one from a little more than 10 years ago that seemed to be very prescient today, The End of America, Letter of Warning to a Young Patriot. She has spent her career as an outspoken liberal feminist activist, but listen to her now. I'm just very curious to have this conversation. Good morning. Good morning to you. How are you, Carrie? Doing well, Naomi. So you are speaking out, and you were on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News, and I have to say, the way you were talking, you sounded just like conservatives because you were so concerned about freedom of speech. You were concerned about the creeping toward authoritarianism. What have you been drinking lately? <laughs> uh, well, this is seltzer, but... <laughs> I, I, but I guess I would just gently like to say I don't see those as conservative values exclusively at all. Um, those are American values. And, uh, you know, we, you know, partisan differences, things we may agree or not agree on in terms of uh, gun ownership, as you were just discussing, or abortion rights or economic policy, those pale in the face of serious threats to our Constitution, our First Amendment rights to free speech and free assembly, our Fourth Amendment rights to privacy and being free from unwarranted search and seizure. So our, it's our Constitution that's under threat, and everyone across the political spectrum from every walk of life should be speaking up and joining together to defend our Constitution right now. I want to, I'm curious because I've heard from several folks about what they're making a distinction between a liberal versus a leftist. That if you're talking about someone who believes in liberal values, those liberal values are freedom of expression, everything that you just mentioned. But a leftist is someone who really wants to move toward authoritarianism. How do you think about this? Have you heard this distinction? Do you agree with this? I mean, I have, and as a former political consultant, um, by the way, I, I advised Clinton's campaign and advisor. I didn't advise uh, former President Clinton directly. Um, I, I'm a little worried about it. It is a tactic, I think, to splinter uh, progressives or people on the Democratic side of the aisle, um, just like, you know, our team tries tactics of splintering, creating divisions between people on the right. It's, it's you know, standard political consulting um, techniques. I guess I would say that um, I, I know a lot of leftists, <laughs> so many of my loved ones are leftists, and they don't think they want authoritarian government. Um, but what I see as a progressive um, is that the Democrats in leadership are definitely uh, using some kind of Chinese Communist Party style tactics and goals in order to advance their own agenda. And but I just want to say again, to be completely kind of impartial or non-biased, my focus is, is rights and freedoms, the Constitution. So the end of America, the book you mentioned, uh, talked about how the Bush administration uh, tried to suppress rights and liberties using different tactics. And, you know, the Trump era definitely had its own violations of rights and liberties and due process. So, the, you know, the temptation to misuse and abuse power is is transpartisan. And, you know, my book, The End of America, looked at tyrants on the left and the right. And what's so interesting about tyranny is that, you know, 
totally, you know, fascist right wingers like uh, the, like Mussolini um, was using the same kinds of techniques as um, the Nazis did, and also as communists, you know, far left totalitarians, uh, communists in the Soviet Union, communists in Russia, in China. I'm sorry. So the, the abuse of power is transpartisan. You know, Naomi, everything you're saying just makes so much sense. I'm so glad you're staying with us after the break. We're going to take a quick break. More with Naomi Wolf. Stay tuned. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. We're joined again by Naomi Wolf, former political advisor and author of Outrages, Sex, Censorship, and the Criminalization of Love, and the author of The End of America, Letter of Warning to a Young Patriot. Naomi, my co-host for the hour, Emily Miller, is here. She's got a question for you. Sure thing. Naomi, great. I also watched your interview on Tucker and was just blown away by how powerful you have become as an outspoken advocate for changing and getting our freedoms back. And have you, because I've followed your career, the Clinton campaign, Al Gore's campaign, I mean, you're just so well known in democratic circles. What has happened to you professionally, personally, um, as you have, I remember Tucker saying that you can't believe he's, you couldn't believe you would appear on his show, you'd lose friends. How has that kind of thing happened to you? How does a cancel culture hit you? I mean, uh, no. <laughs> um, That's good. I, I, I think that there are a lot of people. Look, I, you know, I've been in the public eye and public life for 35 years, and we all know that there are a lot of institutions and news outlets and organizations that really profit from keeping Americans separated from each other in tribes um, and telling telling lies about each other to scare each other. So. Uh, a lot of people really don't know people who are not like them or who don't vote like them. So what, you know, I've been lucky in traveling across the country and especially at the end of America, hearing from people from every background, conservatives, progressives, Green Party, everyone um, who cared about basic freedoms. And I love people across the aisle. You know, I'm married to someone I argue with about politics all the time. Uh, and so I'm I'm lucky to know that there are millions and millions of people out there who simply want to be able to unite, you know, kind of we can leave the fighting about things we don't agree on for the appropriate day, but now is the time to come together. And that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing it from the left and the right. Like, thank you for reaching out. They're thanking Tucker for reaching out. You know, this, our, our founders were smart. They didn't say this constitution is only for Republicans or only for Democrats. Those terms didn't even exist then. They said in times of crisis, you are supposed to come together and defend the constitution above all. So I'm not, I'm getting really only support as far as I know and, you know, no, no problems at all. Well, that's wonderful because what your message is of unity, which unfortunately has not been seen during this pandemic of 100 years, we've not seen unity. Your message is a needed one and maybe that's where our country's going. What specific things does our country need to do, do we need to do, how can we help in order to get back our freedom, not have a, this, you know, tyrannical government running the thing, not having Silicon Valley decide what is free speech? What are things that can be done? Those are such important questions, Emily. Um, 
so I did write a sequel called Give Me Liberty, which has like 55 steps you can take. Uh, but that's kind of out of date because a lot of the censorship, as you say, is digital. Um, and it's very hard, especially in a quote unquote lockdown. Many states are, are you know, assembly is restricted here in New York State, in Massachusetts. Um, I live in the former, I work in the latter. I could get fined $15,000 a day, as I mentioned um, on Tucker's show, for just hosting a gathering of worshipers or, you know, a play date, you know, more than 10 people. Um, my synagogue is closed and they're waiting for the CDC and the governor of Massachusetts to reopen. I contacted the governor of Massachusetts. I'm doing all the right things as a citizen. Uh, and, you know, I'm not even getting a response, except they said they wouldn't let me interview them about why we can't reopen Massachusetts because the science does not support these kinds of closures in any way. Um, so the first thing I guess you, you have to do is get informed. What are the levers of uh, demanding change that you get as a citizen of your state? 27 states are referenda states. And this is like the great secret sauce of American democracy. It means if you get like 50,000 or 100,000 people to sign a petition, you can put a bill on the ballot and you can recall your governor as they're doing in California, or you can um, imitate a lot of states that are passing uh, never again uh, emergency measures laws. I believe Tennessee did this. Um, these are wonderful bills to pass that basically say we are never going to let uh, emergency powers shut anything down again. We're never going to let, um, you know, a pandemic or any emergency. I don't mean it's not a real pandemic. That's not what my quote marks meant, but it's not what our constitution says allows you to close down the constitution. Um, those are good bills to pass. And as citizens, you can gather together uh, to, to pass those bills. Um, but honestly, I'm really, I don't know how to say this gently, but I'm kind of advocating civil disobedience at this point. You know, find out what the fines are find out what the penalties are. I mean, I, I called my local board of health and I said, I've looked at the aerosol studies. There's no risk to me or anyone else not wearing a mask out of doors. My, I'm worried about my little stepson. He's nine years old. He shouldn't, it's, it's damaging to him emotionally to have to wear a mask outside. There's no reason for it medically. Um, I'm letting you know, I'm taking my mask off in case you want to arrest me or find me. And so far nothing's happened, but, uh, we, we have to raise our voices as citizens to the extent that we are willing to take a risk and nonviolently, of course, to say, no, this is our country. We will not let you uh, close down our rights and freedoms. I'm hearing about other kinds of wonderful civil disobedience, again, peaceful. You know, Martin Luther King is my hero. It's not, you know, nothing, nothing scary here, but people are surrounding restaurants and supporting them and saying, you know, we're going to sit in this restaurant. We're going to sit outside. We're going to sit in this bar. We're going to sit outside again safely. Right. No, no reason to, to jeopardize anyone or to make it seem like a, a mob. But, you know, we're going to support our local businesses. We're going to patronize them. We're going to gather. Um, I'm trying to get a group of people to worship, you know, unlawfully in New York State with me because I can't go to my synagogue. Well, you know, Naomi, I, I've interviewed several pastors from California who are doing exactly what you're saying, and they're racking up fines. But honestly, I think this is contributing to this outrage to recall Gavin Newsom and 1.5 million signatures for this petition effort to get him recalled. I want to ask you about Democrats, because this is the party that you're coming from. House Democrats hosted a hearing at the Energy and Commerce Committee, and what they're calling it is a hearing on fanning the flames, disinformation, and extremism in the media. And what it's looking at is a follow-up on a letter that Democrats have sent because they're trying to cancel Fox News, OANN, and Newsmax. They're trying to pressure 
all of the distributors to stop allowing these networks. We're a startup network. We're looking at this with very you know, cautious eyes. These are Democrats. What would you say to your own party in this instance? I mean, they're completely wrong, and they're on the wrong side of history, and this is very, very dangerous, um, very dangerous. I mean, you know, again, if you look at closing democracies, always, and my book, Outrages, is about the invention of modern censorship. This proves it completely. Um, when you start censoring the other side and suspending First Amendment rights to say things even that other people don't agree with, uh, pretty soon the censors will come for you. So they may think, what a great opportunity to get rid of conservative voices, what a great opportunity to dominate the airwaves. Um, and it's shameful that the tech bros are, you know, not only going along with this, but leading the charge. But what happens if you do that is that uh, you create an underground and, and a lot of outraged people like me who think you do not represent me anymore. You know, the Constitution covers this person I really disagree with, uh, as well as, you know, my own views. You, you cannot Naomi, do that. would you ever vote for a Republican or where would you go politically? Are you in the wilderness here? I mean, I don't want to say that because you guys respectfully were just as bad, if not worse. You know? <laughs> hey, 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 uh, the Democrats are putting out all sorts of misinformation about Mueller report, things that were abjectly false that were told over and over on networks like MSNBC, The New York Times, uh, and conservatives didn't do anything very, I never saw a hearing about that. But um, it's been a pleasure to have you, Naomi Wolf. I, I hope you'll come back soon. Thank you. I'd love to. Thanks for Thank having you. me. And Stay tuned right here. We've got more with Emily Miller coming right up. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield. Well, let's get to our viewer feedback. I only quote the smartest tweets. I send out a tweet question every day. Here's what I said yesterday. Is Wikipedia biased toward socialism? We had a co-founder of Wikipedia, Larry Singer, on, and he said, yes. Here's what you had to say. Robert Pelletier, French name there, Pelletier. He says, I used to reference Wikipedia in the early days of the, the World Wide Web and donated when solicited. I've learned since not to reference Wikipedia or fact-checking sites as bias is prevalent everywhere when one is simply looking for unbiased information. That's a problem if they want to have donations. The Vachilliman says it's biased, and that's not news, unless you are totally unaware, which is possible. It's, it's a useful, quote, tool, but it's not an original source. It's heavily edited, easily manipulated by any organized mob with time on its hands, and demonstrates why democracy isn't a reliable source. Jack says, Jack's solid state, I remember when Wikipedia was a good thing. Unfortunately, my memory goes back too far. Soon they're going to be erasing our memories, Emily, don't you think? I mean, that is, they, those tweets Thought are fantastic. Crimes. These people are, uh, I, they have better commentary than I do, and I do it for a living. <laughs> um, it is, Wikipedia, is such viewers. a misconception. Really yeah, you really do. The misconception that Wikipedia is a news source is astounding to me. I mean, I know my own Wikipedia page is, has literally nothing to do with my life and career. It's full of 
inaccuracies. It's factually incorrect. It's completely biased. Um, and there's nothing I can do about it. Right? Because who well, are you? They'll change knows? it, but then it'll be edited back. Well, that's what we these, learned yesterday. You know, people just come pouring. I, I don't even. I don't know how it works, but um, that's a problem, right? I know how the New York Times works, and I know the laws that guard the New York Times. They print inaccuracies. I can sue them for slander. Well, that's what Larry Singer from Wikipedia said yesterday. You could actually sue if you have libelous information on your Wikipedia page, and they allow it to stay. Emily Miller, maybe you might have to bring some action here. Interesting. Yeah. All right, let's talk about another topic here. It's on the issue of school shutdowns. So parents are speaking out as students are suffering with the continued shutdowns of the schools. Susan is from New York. This is, this is a list here from the WIP Steve Scalise office. And Susan says, after schools went remote, two suicide attempts for one child, another child has developed an eating disorder. Martha from Louisiana says, my son was a healthy, happy 16-year-old last March. He has since been diagnosed with an eating disorder and depression. Nutri from Virginia says, I have pulled one daughter out of school for treatment of depression after months of virtual. I've spent thousands on therapists, specialists, and counseling. She's now still not okay and is now diagnosed with anorexia. I mean, these are just chilling just tragic stories, and we're seeing this all over the country. There was a young boy in Texas who committed suicide. His father said it was driven in part by feelings of isolation and depression because of these continued shutdowns. And I was just hearing about a professor from Harvard University. He's from the School of Public Health over there. He disagrees with the CDC. He says the shutdowns of the schools should not be driven by what's called the community spread. He says there's a lot of evidence that if you have a smart school that's doing things well and practicing social distancing, doing the mask, everything that they're, the guidelines, that the school could be way healthier and have a far less, even zero spread compared to the community around you. And what's happening is that they're basing these shutdowns based on what they call the community spread, but the community is different from a school if the school is practicing good practices. He's come under a lot of fire by the CDC for doing this, but he's speaking out. This is just, Emily, what do we do here with these students? This is a national crisis. Um, every parent has, has seen their children suffer. No children are doing, very few children, are doing better by not having social engagement, by not being educated in person. The blame belongs solely with the teachers' unions. And President Biden, who claims that he's going to be reopening schools because, you know, I've been working at the FDA during the pandemic. I've been firsthand on treatment on this virus and the vaccine. None of it affects the children. The children were taken out of school for absolutely no reason because the adults were freaking out. Um, and we're punishing these children, and we've seen from the beginning the drastic increase, as, as you said with the, a lot of these commentaries on Steve Scalise's site, depression, anxiety, and suicide attempts. Um, and this is President Biden, this is going to be one of his major legacies. If he doesn't get these schools open and get these kids back in school, and the death rates from suicide keep increasing, and the ch I also want to mention the child abuse, because teachers were the ones reporting child abuse. They're the number right. one reports. Right. We, we had an expert on saying exactly that, that the teachers are on the front lines of reporting abuse because they're there. They're an outside, independent third party who can observe what's happening with the abuse. But to your point on the schools and the shutdowns, we have a headline about Sweden 
And in Sweden, they did not shut down the schools. And this headline is looking at what it's by Nick Hudson. And he says, lockdowns don't save lives. And Sweden is all the proof that you need. He says the lie that lockdowns worked spread as a social contagion persisting among petrified citizens and ideological opinion makers who continue to use overblown models as their alternative what-if scenarios. Many concluded quite erroneously that lockdowns had saved millions of lives. Sweden stands as an empathetic refutation of this claim. Specifically, the schools in Sweden, they stayed open and their children were safe. I mean, that, that's the biggest issue here is safety. We all want the children to be safe, but, but Sweden but has children, shown that the children in Sweden were yeah. safe and they were able to keep going and have life as normal. Well, no one's ever claimed that schools were closed in order to protect the children's lives because the children, they don't, they're, and not, adults they're asymptomatic. Too, because they the children don't it. spread it. The whole idea, right, the whole idea was that they don't, we know now, and it took a few months for us to understand the studies and the NIH and CDC did a bunch of studies. So granted, in the very beginning, there wasn't, belief not proven because there's no studies done that children would spread it to their parents and their grandparents right but then we found out oh, by i'd say may june the studies were showing that kids were completely asymptomatic and that they weren't the source of the spread it's now february and the schools are not open there's no scientific reason for this well there's one reason and his name is dr fauci and Dr. Fauci has said that it's possible that Americans will be wearing masks in 2022 to protect against COVID-19. He told CNN that while he can't predict when the U.S. might return to operating as it did before the pandemic, he told that he thinks that by the end of the year, we're going to have a significant degree of normality beyond the terrible burden that all of us have been through over the last year. There is a satirical headline by the Babylon Bee, which I'm a fan of, but they said uh, they called Dr. Fauci a conspiracy theorist who's saying the vaccines don't work by saying that we're going to keep yeah. wearing masks even if you've been vaccinated. Um, is this something that Americans, again, to our conversation earlier, are Americans just willing to keep doing this because they're just following orders? Or what's the yeah. science behind it? Well, there is a lot to be said that people are following orders. And there's a concept in psychology called learned helplessness, which is when you are told that nothing, you can't do anything to change anything, you stop doing anything, change anything. And this is going back to what Naomi Wolf has done, is people's kids aren't in school and they're not doing anything to change it. Their restaurants are closed. They're not doing anything to change it. We need to start changing things. We need to be active. We need to get past learned helplessness and start fighting back because we have to go with the science. Let's talk about Amazon real fast. They have quietly ended sales of books that it labels as, quote, hate speech. A guest on this program, Ryan Anderson, is, his book was among them. He was questioning the science of whether it's safe to have children injected with hormone blockers when they're children to prevent them from becoming full-blown male or female. Um, but that book was yanked. Um, but that book is still for sale. I will note at Barnes & Noble for now. We will keep an eye on whether that's the case. All right, stay tuned with us. We've got Mr. Matt Palumbo. He's the author of a new book on what's happening in California. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Hey there, good morning. Welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and joined this morning by Matt Palumbo. He's content manager of the Bongino Report. And just out this week, he's the author of a brand spanking new book, Dumb and Dumber, How Cuomo and de Blasio Ruined New York. Matt, I think your book for a lot of people is spot on, spot on timing wise. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. And uh, it's actually ironic. We were supposed to come out about a month ago. Um, got delayed a month from like with printing issues, and then right as it's getting released now, we have all this new information coming out about about Cuomo. So I don't think it actually could have been a better time. Um, and you know, very excited to finally have it out. Well, and look, it's all about respect for the office. I give them respect. It's hard to run a city. It's hard to be a governor. But when you're seeing, I left New York. I left Manhattan, I left New York City. Part of why I left was because of what de Blasio had done to the city. So people seem to be voting with their feet. They're leaving New York City, they're leaving New York State. What surprised you most as you were doing the research for this book? Um, well, it was actually the coronavirus stuff, and that was what sparked the book. It was I was really wanting to learn as much about coronavirus back in February and March, and you know they kind of crowned Cuomo the king of, of fighting this thing, and he was the guy who did everything right. Apparently, uh, Dr. Fauci was singing his praises, so I just thought, all right, let's look into what this guy accomplished, or you know now it seems it didn't accomplish. Um, and and I, you know, I'm looking through the data, and I'm going, all right, so he's number one in deaths nationwide. Uh, New Jersey's since overtaken that, but at the time he was number one in deaths nationwide. Uh, if New York was its own country, it would be number one in coronavirus deaths. So I'm going, so, you know, what exactly is it? What did, what did he do that's so great? And it turns out nothing. Um, and I was able to do, you know, an entire third of the book just on how Heyman de Blasio botched the response. Um, I cover, you know, from the early stages onward when um, people claim, were claiming Trump wasn't taking it seriously. It was actually those two who weren't. Um, then I go through the whole nursing home scandal uh, and just all these other little things you'd never really heard about. Um, that they botched um, and resulted in, you know, in what we see today. Um, I guess one of the most, the biggest things uh, or most relevant things from that is, uh, you know, Trump always called coronavirus the China virus, which I think is appropriate, but in the context of America, it was the New York virus. It hit New York first, and then if you look at the cities it spread to afterwards, uh, something like 90% of the cases could be linked right back to New York. So, you know, New York saw fit to shut down their economy, but not their borders, so the, the virus spread outwards, and, and, and it's sort of, you could really uh, blame the two of them for the, the, uh, the fact that it got this bad nationally. Yeah, well, and with, with devastating consequences that people's lives were destroyed, uh, arguably, I mean, we're still investigating exactly what happened, but there's evidence to say that the, the governor of New York had policies that put sick, infected people around very vulnerable people. Uh, and we'll see what kind of investigations the feds are looking into this. We'll see what comes out of it. Do you think that this will be the death knell of the political career of Cuomo? Because we had someone on the program that we quoted yesterday who did an op-ed, a former Bloomberg campaign manager who also worked for Chuck Schumer. He said, this guy has Teflon. He's Teflon Cuomo. And this is not going to be the end of his career. He's, he's running for a fourth term. Term. Do you think he's going to get reelected or is he going to get impeached, recalled? I mean, what's what's the deal with him in his future? Right. So, I mean, sadly, I think it's in the media's, in the media's hands. And the reason I say that is, you know, as New York and 
was back then and is today the worst and one of the worst in the nation in terms of coronavirus deaths. His approval rating went up to the highest of any governor in the nation. And all it took was the narrative to do that. The reality didn't matter. So, you know, we are seeing a turn against Cuomo now in the media. They're finally waking up now that I guess it's impossible to ignore. But uh, if they don't keep on it, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, now, as for legal consequences, there is a case to be made that, that you know, the, the cover up will be the crime here. Um, we know from his aide that they were deliberately withholding data um, because they didn't want the feds to launch an investigation, which some have argued counts as obstruction of justice, uh, even though there hasn't been an investigation yet. Um, but, you know, again, the downside is, you know, it is largely contingent on Biden's uh, Department of Justice doing the right thing. And, uh, you know, can we really count on that? Yeah, I mean, it's to your point on the media, it looks like the conservative media is coming under fire by Democrats on Capitol Hill. And they're having this week, they've been scheduling and it's it's been, you know, a target on the backs of conservatives. The House Energy and Commerce Committee today is hosting a hearing looking at the issue of what they call is traditional media's role in promoting disinformation and extremism. That's the name of the hearing. And they sent a letter to networks and distributors and cable companies of places like Fox News. News, OAN, and Newsmax trying to get them thrown off the air and trying to basically censor these media companies. And Brian Darling, who has worked for Heritage Foundation and Rand Paul, he wrote an op-ed in the, in the Washington Times looking at this. He calls it, the woke warriors launching an insurrection against conservative news networks. You're at a conservative news startup. How do you guys deal with censorship? How do you handle, are you seeing more suppression of what you're doing? So, you know, there's, there's two sides of the business I work on. So, but, you know, Report is our aggregator, and that, fortunately, is about 95% direct traffic. People are just, you know, typing the, the URL into their browser and going directly. Um, so, fortunately, we aren't affected by big tech there. Um, but with the, the other site, Bongino.com, where we have original articles, you know, we are, unfortunately, dependent on Facebook um, and, and Twitter, which Dan is now boycotting. Um, but yeah, we, we have noticed a hit there recently. I, I we, you know I, I don't want to give any exact percentages, but it is sizable. Um, and then they just recently you know took Parler offline. We finally got it back online, but it's you know could take weeks or months before the you know you, the uh, user engagement is where it was before. So uh, we are seeing a hit there, and it's really a one-two punch. You know, big techs doing the government's bidding without the government having to ask them. That the government wants to take another step and go well on top of all that censorship. Here's what we want to do. Um, and we've been told for the past God knows however many years, you know, if you don't like it just build your own x build your own twitter build your own facebook build your own you know cnn we went okay sure and then they want to shut it down so there's really no winning yeah it's uh what's the definition of insanity doing it all over again well hey matt we appreciate you have coming on here over again your voice of sanity we appreciate it thank you very much and make sure to check out his book dumb and dumber how cuomo and de blasio ruined new york he's not holding back not pulling any punches all right stay tuned we'll be right back Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Hey there, good morning, and welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield, and glad that you're with us. Well, if you didn't see this big news, Mitt Romney, the senator from Utah, might be getting a primary challenger. And the name that's been floated is Jason Chaffetz. He's a former congressman, and he reveals that he's open to possibly challenging Romney in a Utah state primary. He says, I think this is an op-ed by Ken Blackwell, who's a supporter of Donald Trump. He says, I think most of us who believe in Trump's America First agenda would agree that someone like Romney needs to go. Heck, he's been considered a rhino for a very, very long time, well, before Trump was on the scene. He's essentially a progressive moonlining as a conservative. Hopefully, if not Chaffetz, someone who is a true conservative will retire the man from his post. These words are just so shocking considering that Mitt Romney was the GOP nominee in 2012. Well, joining me to discuss this is Jay Evenson. He's senior editorial columnist of the Deseret News. And I have to say, confess, I used to work for the Deseret News while I was a student at Brigham Young University out in Utah. And Jay actually came and spoke to my student group at the Society of Professional Journalists. Great to have you on the show, Jay. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. I appreciate you asking me to come on. So, Jay, what is going on? And you have some great new poll data about Mitt Romney and how Utahns view him. Tell us what you know. Um, yes, this is a poll that was conducted uh, February, uh, mid-February, 10th through 16th. And uh, it's an approval rating on uh, politicians in Utah. Um, and actually, the interesting thing is that uh, statewide, uh, Mitt Romney polls uh, pretty well. It's about a 50% approval rating. Uh, Senator Mike Lee only has a 45% approval rating. But when you dig down into the data and uh, you, look, you, you uh, look at party affiliation, his approval rating among Republicans in Utah is only 34%. Uh, with Democrats, it's 44%. But with uh, people who are non-affiliated politically, it's 51%. Um, also, when you break it down by faith, uh, of course, Utah being a, a very religious state, uh, uh, Mormon voters, and, and this is a poll of, uh, among registered voters only, Mormon voters, 49% uh, approval rating. Uh, other faith groups, uh, 40, uh, I'm sorry, it's 46% for Mormons, 49% for other faith groups. And very interestingly, those who don't aff affiliate themselves with any religion, 61% approval rating. So now Jay, in Utah, I mean, we have a... Those numbers are just uh, just really shocking and eye-opening that it's people who are non-religious, people who might be atheist or agnostic, they approve of Mitt Romney way more than those who are practicing. And as you said, it's a closed primary system there, so you have to be Republican. And, and in Utah, uh, being from Utah myself, I know that if you are religious, you're more likely to be a Republican. Do you think this spells trouble for him? Well, the big question is whether Romney intends to run for a second term, and I'm I, I, I'm not getting, getting any certainty on that. Um, he says that he feels uh, freer than he ever has because he's not concerned about party politics. And it, that may signal that he's just a one-term uh, senator. Maybe like Jeff Flake, he's kind of uh, reading the uh, tea leaves and, and maybe will decide not to run for, uh, for, for re-election. Um, Jay, so, do you, Jay it's, I just had to interrupt you. Here in Washington, I, I, I had to laugh when you said that at Senator Romney is feeling so free. Um, he is infuriating all of his colleagues on Capitol Hill because he keeps voting against them and he keeps voting with the Democrats. And with the 51-49 split in the Senate, or 50-50 when you go into the vice president being the deciding factor, that's a really big deal. That means things can't get stopped or things can't get done. 
What do you account for the fact that back home in his state, he does have a higher than expected approval rating, or rather what Washington insiders would expect? Well, um, you know, Utahns like to call themselves uh, different from the rest of the country. And I think there is some truth to that. And There's and a phrase for that, and it's a peculiar people. Wearing that label with yes. pride, peculiar people. That's right. And, um, you know, President Trump in, in the primaries in 2016 uh, actually finished third among Republicans at that time uh, in the state. Uh, and the state, uh, although I, I think that's changed uh, since then, he won uh, Utah in 2020, but there are still a lot of uh, more traditional Republicans who, uh, who, who were not solidly in his camp, let's say. Um, and we've been tracking the number of people who have uh, unregistered from the party. And we had a report recently of about 7,600 since January 6th. So there, there may be some... Uh, you know, for, former uh, Republican uh, people who are fueling that statewide uh, approval rating. But the fact remains, if he wants another term, he's got to get through uh, the party uh, in Utah, and it's, it's just not looking good right now. Mm. I want to bring on another topic. Let's move on about Joe Biden and what he's done in Utah. So he's got a leasing ban and he's banned fracking on new lands in federal lands in Utah. And he it brought out a furious letter from the Utah governor. It went on to emphasize the order that Biden signed during his first day as president. He says it's going to have a negative economic impact on Western states with large tracts of federal land. What's been the fallout from this? Or is there just really nothing that Utahns can do? Um, you know, I think people in the rest of the country uh, probably don't fully understand or appreciate how much of the land out west is owned by the federal government. And in Utah, it's about 65 percent of the state that's owned uh, by Washington. And when you consider uh, the Salt Lake metropolitan area, which is mostly privately owned, of course, so you get out into the rural areas and, and that 65% kind of jumps up because it's all the remaining land in Utah. And so um, it's, been a, it's been a source of contention for many, many years. And it seems to, uh, to go back and forth between when we have Republican administrations and Democratic administrations. It manifests itself in, in lots of different ways. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, national monuments. Uh, all right. Hey, uh, Jay, I'm sorry. Uh, we got to run, but I'd love to have you back, and we'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Just the News AM. I'm Carrie Sheffield. I'm going to close the show with a note of bipartisanship or a hope for bipartisanship. So the 9-11 Commission, we're going to do a flashback to this committee. It's been 20 years since this commission became, uh, you know, came together. And it turns out it was truly bipartisan in nature. It was evenly divided. And Tim Russert apparently wanted to get the lead Republican on his show only. And the Republican said, no, I will not do this unless my Democrat is on the show with me. It turns out that right now, Nancy Pelosi is wanting to stack the January 6th commission to have 
way more Democrats than Republicans. Reportedly, she, I believe she only wants seven Democrats and only four Republicans. She doesn't want this to be bipartisan. Emily, do you think this is actually going to be, I mean, there's the possibility for bipartisanship. Do you think Nancy Pelosi will take this olive branch? <laughs> That's my answer. Of course not. Of course not. She doesn't do anything that's not going to benefit Democrats. I mean, she has zero, and that she's been successful at having zero bipartisanship um, efforts. And and it's just a shame. I, we don't need a 9/11 commission. The committees are handling it. They're figuring out how in the world a bunch of people got into the Capitol. Let's figure that out, and so it doesn't happen again. No need for commissions. Well, I think the commission's going to happen no matter what you want, Emily. But. At the very Not least, we'll, we'll see. see. If the Republicans say they you don't might, want to do it, if they won't participate yeah. in it, that might be the end of the commission. You know what? Maybe you're right. You'll have to come back and we'll talk about it. All right. That does it for us here. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back here tomorrow on the show. Thanks for being along with us for the ride. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Carrie Sheffield. We'll put your smart comments up. All right. War Room is up next.